0: Sentire media.
1: Hello, you. You're listening to The History of Italy. Episode 119: Joanna II of Naples and some schism.
2: Mixing.
1: We last left off in 1414 with Joanna of Naples, sister of King Ladislaus, becoming Queen Joanna II of Naples, with her brother's untimely death in the same year. He had no heirs, despite having frequently participated in the activity which would have begot him heirs ironically the very activity that was supposed to create life seems to have been what ended the kings since he was supposed to have died of some sort of nasty sexually contracted disease we mentioned that joada hadn't at all been prepared to rule indeed she as often happens with sisters of rulers had been up to that point a simple bargaining chip in her brother's international relations. Indeed, in that year, she was already a widow. She hadn't had much to do at her brother's court, except to observe all the naughtiness and hanky-panky that was going on, and at times participate in it, if the rumours are to be believed. With her brother's death, all that remained were his counsellors, who had been a bunch of spineless yes-men, so there wasn't much authority going around that she could rely on. So, she turned to one of her favourites, and supposedly her lover, at her brother's court, a man by the name of Pandolfo Piscopo, which I only mention because it sounds quite humorous. Indeed, it means little Pandolfo. Doesn't that sound cute? Joanna did try to get her kingdom in order and bring it under some form of peace, toing and throwing between the different branches of the Anjou family. She first asked for external help from the powerful Sforza family of Milan. Now, you more attentive listeners may say at this point, Hold on a minute! Weren't the Visconti ruling Milan at this time? And you would be totally right. We are going a little bit ahead of ourselves, and we haven't spoken yet about the Visconti line flowing into the Sforza. We will soon be going back north to catch up. In any case, not much came out of the alliance. Joanna continued to try and rule with her Pandolfello, but the pressure on an unmarried medieval woman of power to find a suitable partner was too great. The husband that was forced upon her was James of Bourbon. Not the whiskey, unfortunately. Count of La Marche. At first, Joanna tried to maintain her authority and independence. But James soon won out, and even had poor little Pandolfello killed, and she was forced to recognize her husband as king. From there on, the queen literally became a prisoner being confined to her castle, Castel Nuovo, Newcastle, but not that Newcastle, obviously. It is the castle that you can still visit in Naples today, which is known also as Maschio angioino Joanna's Neapolitan subjects did not like the new situation at all. As is often the case, they didn't like in particular this new foreign guy coming in and acting as if the place were his. They even created a plot to try and free Joanna and then rally around her to rebel. Unfortunately, the Queen was so terrified of her husband that she suspected the plot was a test of her loyalty and went and told him about it, causing the deaths of the conspirators. At the end, the subjects did actually rebel and managed to force James out of power to end his days as a monk in a monastery. So it was that, once again, in 1419, Joanna was queen in her own full right. She celebrated this period by taking on another favourite, Sir Gianni Caracciolo. Unfortunately, it was her new lover that ended up getting Joanna in trouble, and this time with the Pope. The Pope in question was Martin V, and we're going to talk a little bit more about him. And we're going to talk a little bit more about him later, because he was the one whose election put an end to the Great Western Schism, or Schism, whatever. For the moment, it will be enough to say that he needed a bit of cash for his papal armies to get his papal states under control. When he asked Joanna, her best buddy, Sir Caracciolo, said no, which in time ended up infuriating the Pope and pushing relations to a breaking point in which the leader of the church called in once again the French Anjou, particularly in this case Louis II. At this point, Joanna And her favorite went into panic damage control mode and turned to the other big hitter at the time, always in the background, the Aragonese. In this particular case, Alphonse I. The deal was that Alphonse would come in and help protect Johanna, while she, in turn, not having an heir of her own, would nominate Alphonse as her heir. This wound up being a rather costly move for our kingdom of Naples. Indeed, in this particular case, the Pope soon gave up, but Alphonse's claim to the throne stuck in his mind. In the short term, the Queen and her new heir very soon had a falling out, with the Spanish king not at all taking a liking to her favorite Caracciolo. This situation also almost ended up in armed conflict in 1423 and Joanna was forced to make a 180 degree turn and seek help with the French and Louis II. For the moment nothing really came out of it, particularly because Alphonse was called to settle issues elsewhere, far enough away to be out of the story. This left Joanna to manage a period of relative peace in the kingdom. This piece left her enough time to realize that her current favorite, Caracciolo, was really, really getting on her nerves. So it was that in 1432, he was very conveniently killed, possibly under the order of his ex-lover, the Queen herself. Joanna did not live a lot longer. Indeed, she died on the 2nd of February, 1435. The throne of Naples passed to her relatives, the French Anjou, since Joanna herself had been the last of the Duras Anjou. However, they would not be long on the throne. Indeed, the powerful Alphonse of Spain, remembering that he had been the first nominated heir of Joanna, soon came along, and in 1442, all of southern Italy, first Sicily and now the Kingdom of Naples, fell under the control of the Aragonese. That is a summary of the life of Joanna II of Naples, the facts if you will. Then there are the legends. Before we go there, a quick word from our sponsor. So before the break, after finishing up with what we actually know about Joanna, we promised we would move on to the legends. First of all, of course, there is the question of her ghost. If you happen to have the fortune to visit the beautiful city of Naples, as mentioned above, you can visit the Maschio angioino the castle originally built by Charles of Anjou back in the 13th century. They say that some people, over the years, have seen the ghost of Joanna herself wandering the halls. However, that is not the only paranormal experience to be connected to Joanna. Indeed, the castle is said to be haunted by the souls of the many lovers she had and had killed after she had had her way with them. The gossip was, most likely spread by her enemies, that she would send out her servants roaming the city for handsome, suitable young men with whom the queen would have a night of passion. When they had served their purpose... She would then have them thrown into a trap door, leading down, down into the bowels of the castle, where they would be devoured by a sea monster, put there especially by the evil, insatiable queen. The sea monster, in some versions, may also be a giant crocodile that happened to swim across the Mediterranean from Egypt on a little tour, no doubt. Whatever monster may have been lurking in the depths of the castle, you can see that Joanna did not come out of it with the best of reputations. In this version, she is a power-hungry manipulator with an endless appetite both for a bit of naughtiness in the bedroom and for power. In truth, as was often the case in the Middle Ages, Joanna was a woman attempting to do her best at wielding power in an age in which women were not allowed to wield power, surrounded by unscrupulous and manipulating men who wished through her to become kings of the Kingdom of Naples. Before we finish for this episode, we need to go back and catch up on our popes as we mentioned when we spoke about Pope Martin V. He was born oddone Colonna, from the powerful Roman family of the same name. The whole western schism business started up, you will remember, in 1378. This followed what we could consider the end of the Avignon Papacy, when two different popes, Urban VI and Clement VII, were elected, respectively by the Italian Let's Stay in Rome camp and the No, Let's Stay in Avignon camp. Ordone, future Martin V, initially actually sided with what would end up being the losing side in the schism. But in the end, he came around and participated in the Council of Constance, which put an end to the schism and elected our boy Martin in 1417 it took him a bit of time to actually get to Rome. Partly because he was taking his time and partly because there was a bit of a confusing situation which we will discuss a bit later. When he did get to Rome, he set about finally trying to fix good old Rome a little bit, restoring the churches, fixing bridges and roads, and basically kicking off what would become a great Roman Renaissance and bring it around during the century to the city we have come to know and love as the city of Pope Sixtus and the Borgias, and all that hanky-panky. One big headache the new pope ended up having was a troublesome nobleman and adventurer, what is also known in Italian as a Capitano di Ventura, a sellsword by the name of Braccio da Montone. We'll take a bit of time in a future episode to look at him, because he is one of those figures who will allow us to go into a little bit further detail in our general overview of Italian history in this period. And he will also allow us to move in our constant tour to the Romagna area. And we'll also talk about what the Romagna area actually is and was, as well as other areas I often mention, but perhaps don't get to focus on quite enough. So, that's it for this time. Remember to send in questions for the great Q&A episode, which I'll possibly do to celebrate reaching episode 125, so sometime next month. Thank you very, very much for listening, and thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters who, as I mentioned in the last episode, have now gone over the wonderful, wonderful threshold of 100. Thank you, thank you very much. So thanks in particular to the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level first part, Amanda D., Anthony G., Bill S., Brian J., Callan, Carrie, Celaine, David L., Dean V., Dominic T., Emily B., Federica R, Francisco A, Gabriel S, Greg Ignazio, Il Valentino, Jeff M, Jeffrey W, Joseph S, Juan, Julia, and Old John in Milwaukee. Obviously, thanks also to the tippy top Maria Montessori and Dante Ligieri level, Paolo Lisa K. Andrew M, Brandon S, David A, Peter W, Kevin O, David L, Renat, and, of course, Sen. Remember, if you are so inclined, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. At the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can click through to our social media or go to the support page and become a Patreon supporter and have access to extra content or donate via PayPal. Thank you very much if you decide to do so. Thanks once again to you for listening, and until next time, arrivederci. Wow, this is awesome. I've been with the Queen. Joanna, you're amazing.
0: Your Majesty.
1: Well, (laughs) I wasn't that good.
0: No, I mean you must call me Your Majesty.
1: Uh, Okay, sorry. Anyway, this is fantastic. I wonder what breakfast is like in the castle. Breakfast? Yeah, you must have some incredible food here in the castle for breakfast.
0: My dear boy, there will be no breakfast for you.
1: Ah, well, that's disappointing.
0: Can I get a sandwich at least? They haven't been invented yet.
1: Ah, yeah, oh really. I mean, you'd think such a simple thing would have been invented by now. Anyway, no breakfast, okay, I get it, I'll be on my way. At least I have something to tell my friends.
0: Tell your friends? Actually, I think it's better that you stay in the castle.
1: Really? That's cool! I have so many great ideas on how to improve things. Uh, Not that you're not doing a good job, of course, hey. uh, Maybe one day I could become king. (coughs) King? Yeah, yeah, we could rule together.
0: Yes, well, you know, you look so handsome this early morning. Why don't you stand over there so now I can see you better?
1: Where? Here?
0: Almost just a few steps to the right.
1: Here? How do I look? Sexy, eh?
0: Oh, yes, indeed. Ah! Oops. Sentire Media
2: Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Centitti Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy.